Hello everybody and welcome to Scholars in the Spotlight, the show where you get to hear first-hand insights, tips and tricks from students that won the last WWDC scholarship. Joining us today, we have a 21 years old computer science student from the University of Colorado at Boulder, with three apps on the App Store, winner of the 2020 Swift Student Challenge, please welcome Umar Haroun. Welcome Umar, and thank you for being here with me today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So why don't we start talking about your submission? Sure. Um, so I started, my playground was a uh, COVID um, project. So since I'm a pre-med student, um, I'm in like kind of a unique position where I'm a pre-med and computer science. So I have taken a bunch of bio classes. Um, so I had a fair understanding of how viruses work, how COVID in uh, particular worked just from a biological standpoint. So um, what I did is I made a playground that had a couple parts. It was, um, it explained the basic biology of it and then how a virus or the basic biology of, you know, life, how a cell works, how information works, um, and then how a virus takes advantage of that. So it had a part where it showed how DNA works, how um, RNA works, which is like the two biological parts of a cell uh, of many. And it would show it in AR kit, and then it would also make an exercise to make sure you understand it. And then the last part, it would explain how a virus works, and then it used scene kit um, to make an animation that you would piece together um, to show how a virus joins the cell and messes with it, and then um, spreads. Oh, that's so cool. Very educational. Yeah, it was... Um, I used a, I think um, I used a lot of AR kit with it, and I think that was what made it so. Um, and it did a great job of making it informative because you could actually see it in um, in a nice scale. Like you could see it, you know, in front of you, and it tried to help. I mean, I really liked how it came out. Yeah, the models were awesome. How did you make them? Um, I used uh, Cinema 4D for them since it's free for students. I uh, just made the model um, of DNA, made the model of RNA because they're extremely similar. So uh, those were easy. And then when it came to the cell, um, that wasn't too bad. Just kind of made like a round cylinder. That was, so the Cinema 4D part was probably one of the easier parts. The only thing um, that was a real challenge was importing it into SceneKit. I think that was one of the weird things where sometimes the textures wouldn't load or the textures would load funny or the animations wouldn't load, so I had to remake the animations in scene kit. So the animation, so making the model was just Blender or Cinema 4D, and then um, loading it in through scene kit. It's pretty easy, but there are some weird conversion errors that come with. Oh yeah, like a lot of debugging you have to do to mm -hmm. for it to work. And was this like your first time working with playgrounds? Um, I worked on it a year ago. I tried the year before uh, for the Swift Student Challenge and I didn't get in. I tried working with a little bit more of a sprite kit and trying to make like a game and that went okay. Um, but I think this time it was just a big step up just from learning what does work and what doesn't work. Oh yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of things that you have to like have in consideration with playgrounds. Mm -hmm. um, that's so cool. And you mentioned ARKit and SyncKit. Is this your first time working with that? Um, yeah, it was. It was kind of uh, a little daunting when I started because, I mean, just working with 3D stuff 
can be so, um, there's just, it feels like there's a lot more math involved. There's a lot more, um, especially with AR kit, trying to place it into the world, you know, some sort of surface tracking, et cetera. A lot of that was a, a big challenge for me, um, especially getting it done in a week. So those are definitely, you know, something I wish I had a little bit more experience in before starting. Okay, that's so cool. Getting this experience through the playground can be useful for future projects, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Um, I think it made it, it made the step into um, ARKit and SceneKit a lot more manageable now that I understand the basic gist of it. I have you know, so much more room to see where can I really take advantage of it, what's its, where are its bigger strengths, so on and so forth. Okay, great. How did you learn, like, how did you start learning Swift development? Um, I started in high school. So for reference, I'm in my fourth year of high or of college right now. And I started in high school um, about like four or five years ago. And uh, for us, we have a final grade calculator. I think um, every student has used like Roger Hub before when a semester is about to end to see what they need on their finals to get a certain grade, whether it's an A or B. But for us, that uh, site was blocked like right before finals week. So um, since I needed that site, I just kind of made that calculator on my own in Swift um, and then saw that, you know, people might use this, you know, my peers would definitely love it because, I mean, they're, they're struggling with, you know, figuring out their final grades right now. So I just tried to make it an app, try to make it look kind of pretty and then uh, put it on the app store. And then uh, from there, just messing around. Um, it's always been a little hobby. So I always put in, you know, just some time throughout the week to try something, learn something over the last couple of years. Oh, that's so cool. Like starting with this project, like born out of the necessity. And mm -hmm. Yeah, evolving from there. Yeah, a, a lot of what I, where I grew the quickest when I came to learning Swift development was finding a problem in my own time, you know, some inconvenience I had and then trying to solve it. Whether it's an app I make or some little tool to, you know, parse something, I don't know, whatever it is, just trying to use Swift in my daily life for any small inconveniences I have. Yeah, that's awesome. And you mentioned you were doing like, you're a computer science student and a pre-med. So mm -hmm. how do you balance time in that situation? Um, a lot of it is a routine. Uh, for me right now, I'm studying for the MCAT and then I also have uh, just a little bit of other pre-med stuff to worry about, like volunteering, you know, once COVID calms down. So for me, it's a lot of knowing what I have to do in a day and what time I'm doing it. So kind of keeping a kind of strict routine of um, chipping away at whatever things I need to do. Or when it comes to classes is prioritizing, you know, the heaviest classes first, get them out of the way. And usually those are my pre-med ones. So for me, it was just studying often and then studying on time. Because if I, because um, I feel like as soon as you get off the routine, you just fall behind. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's great that you have found this way to get time for everything, like for computer science and for pre-med and like a little bit of Swift, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is trial and error. Like uh, my first year of college was, you know, it was not as easy to, it took a lot of time to figure out that routine, what works, what doesn't, you know, when to figure out when to talk to your teacher, all those things. It's definitely a lot of trial and error. That's great. So I want to talk now about um, some tips that you might have for future students? Um, the, one of the biggest tips I would have is just be 
be willing to change your idea often. Um, for me, my idea switched, I think, th- like within the week, it switched two or three times. Um, but be willing to, you know, understand, hey, maybe this idea doesn't work. Let's try something else. Or is there a way I can improve it? Just be really willing and open to change. Um, I think that's one of those things that you don't want to get stuck with, you know, something that you've put in the time. So now I have to work on it. So sometimes trying again on a new idea might work better. And then on top of it, um, I would say get a little bit out of your comfort zone. I think that's when you learn the most during that week and you'll make something special. That's awesome. Um, you mentioned, was this your second time preparing for the scholarship? Yep. Uh, the year before, so 2019, I tried to make like a pinball game um, and I think Sprite Kit, but I didn't win that time. So I got pinball working, but I, I don't think it's big enough or special enough that it's, you know, f- um, that it really stands out. Okay. And do you think like that experience helped you participating in the 2020 Uh, definitely. I think it made me a little hungrier to win it because, um, you know, I, I mean, no one likes to get rejected in anything, but, um, I think it was a good experience of looking back, you know, if I were to make it again, I would totally understand from, you know, a reviewer's perspective that this is just pinball. It's nothing, nothing, um, big, it's nothing, you know, unique. So I think it helped me shape that, okay, I need to make something unique and personal to me in a way. And then also has some value. Yeah, that's some great advice as well, like having like a unique project. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that also helped me a lot was looking at past submissions, see what people used, um, what people what people made. Um, like there are a bunch of GitHub repos of previous winners and what their submissions were. And every submission always had, you know, two or three frameworks. And I think that's also huge, trying to keep some uh, some kind of, what's the word? just some way to have multiple technologies in there. Um, and then also just looking at those old submissions, you can see so many different creative things to um, as an idea. Right. Yeah. Having all those GitHub repos and mm-hmm. all the students that post their projects is really awesome and a great resource to use. Definitely. Are you preparing to participate this year at the scholarship? Uh, definitely. I want to, I want to see what I can do this year. Um, I've started brainstorming for now. Um, I'm starting on that front a little bit earlier, but um, yeah, I'm pretty ready to go ahead. I'm wondering if they'll change it up and see what's going to happen, but I'm excited. I think it'll be a cool one. What do you think of the like the dates? Because last year was a little bit special, like the day that the challenge was announced was around May instead of mm-hmm. March. So what do you think will happen this year? I think... Um, I think right now they probably could do an earlier day or a later day. I think for them, um, having it in the in the way they did kind of worked out. I imagine for uh, last year, they did it a little bit later because they knew it was going to go online or something along those lines that they had a little bit more time to review closer to WWDC. But I could see them pulling it back a little bit for uh, this year because I imagine there might be more submissions. But um, that date kind of worked out perfectly for me last year. So I would prefer if it was in May again, just because that was like right after my finals ended. Oh, right. Yeah, that, that would be great. 
And yeah, I think that one of the main reasons that it was done on March on previous years was because like they had to accommodate all the traveling information mm-hmm. for students and all of that for the physical event. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I've heard like rumors that it's online again, so I imagine they don't have to do it in as early this year because I doubt they're going to worry about travel. Yeah, sadly, I think that it will be online again. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, traveling to WWDC must be great, but Apple handled the online like event very well, I think. I agree. I, I really liked um, the shorter yet, you know, still informational WWDC like videos. You know, they might have been, you know, 10 minutes at length, but they had a ton of information and they were a lot easier to digest. I think given the circumstances, they killed it when it came to online. Yeah, for sure. And we are every day seeing more events, more presentations, like every company is doing online presentations. But yeah, Apple is in another level. Yeah, I totally agree. Talking about the online WWDC, what was one of your favorite new features that was announced at WWDC Um, last year? I loved widgets. I think widgets are still really cool. I think they have a lot of room to grow on and uh, get better. But I think, you know, They've grown into my, you know, everyday home screen. I use them all the time. Um, once you get them, you know, set up to the way you work, I think they work amazingly. Um, so widgets is up there. Picture in picture, I use pretty much every day. I'm trying to think of what, and then Big Sur. I think Big Sur in general, just the design change. I really liked it. So those are the top three things I would think about um, the most. That's awesome. Yeah, like the widgets are great and were a big favorite among students and other people at WWDC. Do you think, like, I've seen some rumors that the new design from Big Sur will be ported to iOS 15? Um, How do you see that? I think they could pull a little bit of it um, when it comes to maybe some of the shapes or the, uh, just the kind of general, a little bit more blurred style, that translucent style. I think they could use some of that as an influence in iOS, but I could also see them um, keeping it separate that Big Sur is its own unique design and then iOS iOS 15 would probably have some similar similarities to make sure, you know, somebody could see like, hey, these are the same, you know, people worked on both, but just with enough differences that he could tell they're different, you know, for different platforms. But I think for iPad, they could definitely make it a little bit more desktop like by having some of those big sur designs or maybe even some features yeah for sure i agree yeah they could port the design or they could stay with the same i don't think like apple could do both so we have to wait and see yeah it could be like an ios 8 type thing where it's just this next year from a design perspective they polish out and iron out the things that didn't work or the things that didn't look perfect um And then from there, it'll slowly evolve into something that's a lot more um, approachable by everyone. Because, I mean, I I felt like Big Sur was polarizing to some. So I think over the years, it'll get better. Oh, yeah, for sure. And we have a little bit of history of them porting like some design decisions from macOS to iOS. Mm -hmm. I think the last one was from... I think Catalina introduced dark mode on macOS, and then the next year iOS 13 had dark mode. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a lot of room for them to pull from, and then a lot of room from iOS to 
to move into Big Sur a little bit more. It's it'll definitely be interesting to see. I think this this WWDC can have a lot of changes if they wanted to. Oh yeah. And talking about the next WWDC, what are some prediction or some things that you have in your wish list for WWDC twenty one? Um, I think my main thing on my wish list, my number one would be a test flight for Mac. I think that would just be amazing. Um, I tried working on one with CloudKit, but um, I just didn't have the time for it. But I think that would be absolutely amazing as I work on like my Catalyst version of Homely, um, my app. I wish there was just a way to test it to more people, see what the bugs are, um, and you know, see some cool apps on the other side of it on the testing side. And then um, I also just want to see a little bit better documentation. I think on SwiftUI, they're really rolling it out, killing it. But some of the older things, they still have a little bit of room to improve on. Um, that like no overview available website is a great example of where there is some room to grow. And then the last thing would just be uh, NS Toolbar. I think that I've been working with that when I've been working on my Catalyst app. And there's a lot of things that just kind of a lot of little things that irk me and I just wish there was a little bit better there's a better way to work with the toolbar oh so that is like a framework for uh, excuse me like the toolbar is like the top portion of the screen in Microsoft, yeah right? yeah like for Big Sur the new toolbar and let's just say um the music app all those little buttons up there I feel um when I was following the catalyst tutorial they had one for uh the toolbar and I felt after a while, it gets incredibly complex, and I'm not sure if it's just uh, a result of it being kind of an old API that has been getting built on, but at the same time, I don't really know what's the best approach to fix that or improve it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, documentation is a big problem in like a lot of frameworks adaptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, though. I mean, their Mac Catalyst tutorials from a documentation standpoint have been uh fantastic i've they're so approachable and uh, easy to follow that they really you know help me get over the hump of whether an idea is intimidating if they have that tutorial documentation i think it every one of those they've uh killed it yeah for sure like for newer frameworks and things mm -hmm. they are going doing a great job definitely yeah and you mentioned desk flight for mac and yeah, I think that it will definitely come like, I don't know if this year or the next one, but with the new M1 Macs and all the new platform they're building and universal apps and all of that, I think it's a, a good step to take. It makes sense to have it. I think it'll, it'll just be a matter of when, not if. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Let's talk now about any other projects that you may be working right now on. Definitely. Um, I work. In my spare time, I have an app called Homely. Um, if you have a roommate or you're living with someone, it's a really great app to sync your chores or supplies um, or even your payments together. So, you know, if you are um, if you need to remind your roommate to clean the counters or you need to uh, have a shared grocery list for, you know, dinner, you know, you're grabbing groceries next week and you're making a dinner for all your roommates, it's a perfect way to have all your ingredients just there and everyone can see it when they go shopping. Um, I use that pretty much every day for myself and I think, um, and I've just put it out on Mac, um, within the last couple months and I've been pushing out updates for some pretty requested features lately. So that's been my little passion project. 
Oh, that's awesome. That sounds like a very good project. Very useful. Yeah, I found um, for my myself and my roommates, um, they've had good luck with it because for us, you know, if we go shopping and my other roommate just, you know, forgot something from his last trip to the groceries, he can add it in there and I'll just send us a notification. Hey, you know, this person added this and it and it just makes a it makes life a lot less confusing at home, whether you're, when you're living with someone. And that's pretty much the goal for it. Yeah, that's great. And we hear it again, like making apps and developing born from necessity, like something mm -hmm. that that you had a problem that you had and like you build it up. And I think it's like the best way to, to start developing. Yeah, I think I think that's the quickest way to learn. Uh, it's You just learn so much from, you know, whether it's a design point of, hey, how do I make this easy for me and then easy for others? Or how do I do something because this app doesn't have it? How do I make that myself? I think those are the times where you learn the most of anything when it comes to uh, Swift development. Yeah, that's great. Um, is this app is Swift, Swift UI or UIKit? Um, it started in UIKit, but over time I've been using a little bit more and more Swift UI. Um, for example, the charts in it are all Swift UI. The widget in it, obviously Swift UI. Um, some of the notif like some of the little pop-ups in there, I've been using Swift UI. I think as the app keeps growing, the more I can find Swift UI has a purpose in it. But um, at the moment, there's a lot of Little things, you know, where SwiftUI can't do it right just yet. So I still rely on UIKit. Oh, that's awesome. Like using both frameworks and using the strengths of both ones. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of, uh, you know, push and pull of what works, what doesn't work between a ton of different things. But that's kind of the fun in it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you think that in the future, like SwiftUI will replace UIKit? I think... UIKit might still be prevalent a little bit um, on the Mac. Not everything has to move to SwiftUI, but most things <clears throat> can be replaced with it. Um, for example, uh, just having a list of items that kind of, I don't have to worry about the resizing, the layout of it, is just so much more convenient um, than the UIKit equivalent of auto layout. So I think UI, SwiftUI will have much more of a general presence everywhere over time and then UIKit will plug in the holes as necessary. Yeah, that's cool. Do you find it difficult to move to SwiftUI and this declarative framework? Uh, yeah, I've had a little bit of trouble with it um, just from a mindset perspective because it's so much different from a layout. You know, how do you lay everything out? How do you, you know, size it right? I feel like those things are a little bit more um, hidden in SwiftUI. So I think there is a little bit of a difference there um, in how to get your things to look better or the same in SwiftUI rather than UIKit. Um, but that just comes with practice. I think if I spent a lot more hours with SwiftUI, I'd get a better understanding. Yeah, for sure. Like we are very accustomed to UIKit and like this change of style of code is maybe difficult for some. Yeah, I think it just takes time to understand that it is a whole different... Um, such a different framework um, that you do have to think a little differently as you use it, but that's okay. It'll just, um, and I mean, Paul Hudson and his 100 Days of Swift UI, those things are just great examples of, um, they can boost you into learning so much faster. So use the resources that are out there. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the community is building a lot of resources and definitely yeah, they are awesome. Okay, I think that's all we have to talk about. This was fun. I mean, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. I was a little nervous, but I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you for being here and for sharing your experience. That's it for today. I hope you have enjoyed it and that you learned something. Don't forget to follow the links in the description for Yumar's contact info and to try out his playground. Follow us on your podcast player of choice and on social media so you get notified when we release a new episode. Leave a review and share it with your friends, it really helps a lot. I'm your host Valentino Ceruti, you can find me on Twitter as at This has been Scholars in the Spotlight, and I'll see you in the next episode.